Blog Talk Radio. The Franciscan Friars of the Atonement present the Ave Maria Hour. Hello, this is Father Bob Warren of the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. Thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour radio show. The Friar's popular Ave Maria Hour was first brought to the radio airwaves in 1939, recorded in New York City and on the mountainside grounds at Graymore, a home in Garrison, New York. These timeless classic stories of the Bible and the lives of the saints came to life each week through dramatic reenactment by professional actors and actresses. You know, friends, Christ once said, Do not hide your treasure under a bushel. In saying this, he meant share your gifts, share your talents. The Friars of the Atonement feel the message in these broadcasts remains as powerful and timely as when they were originally aired, and we are so happy to be able to share them with you today. To learn more about the missions and ministries of the Friars of the Atonement, I invite you to visit our website, www.atonementfriars.org. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour. Margaret Lecoeur. This is the story of Margaret Lecoeur. I plead guilty to a shameless affection in the telling, for I am her brother, Father Marshall, a Franciscan. World War I had just ended, and I had returned home for a visit to my parents. I was in the garden admiring some flowers that Maggie had planted when I noticed a stranger approaching. Father Marshall. That's right. I'm Jerry Kenton of the London Times. I understand you were at Eight Stavenskerker. Yes, I was there. <laughs> Your newspaper should feel proud of you. You're the first reporter I've found who could even pronounce the place. Belgian, aren't you? That's right. I've talked to Belgian soldiers. I'm on the track of one of the strangest stories to come out of the war. I'd like the truth about what happened to you at Eight Stavenskerker. I think you mean what didn't happen to me. I didn't get killed. Is that so unusual? In a spot like a Stavenskerke, I think it is. Few remained alive in that hell for more than a week. You survived 18 months in a town raked constantly by crossfire until not a house remained, except the most obvious target of them all, the one in which you were quartered. Isn't this true? Yes, it's true. What else did you hear? The shells exploded all about you. Soldiers whispered that you led a charmed life. Surely it wasn't just the whispering of the soldiers that brought you here. No. I talked to the censor, through whose hands passed every bit of mail to and from the front. He's a skeptic, and yet even he is convinced that there was something supernatural about your deliverance. Well, since that was his job, I can scarcely scold him for reading my mail. Uh, did he tell you how he arrived at such an opinion? Yes. 
Because the same thing that happened to you happened also to each of your two brothers on different fronts. Mm, my brothers were equally fortunate. Well, if this happened to one man, I could dismiss it as sheer luck. But that such a charm should extend to all three members of a family suggests to me the divine hand of providence. Don't you agree? I agree. You admit yourself a child of providence, but then what's the story? You wouldn't believe me if I told it to you. Why don't you try me and see? Very well. On one condition, that you give me the name of the censor who read my letters. Why do you want that? I'm interested in a man who is ready to accept my deliverance as the work of the supernatural, and yet claims to be a skeptic. Your job is to save souls, mine to get a story. Very well. It's a bargain. Hmm? I must tell you the story of my sister, Maggie. How she lived, what made her tick. If I bore you with incidents that seem irrelevant, I ask your indulgence. To me, everything that she did was another step that led to that final act of self-sacrifice. It began in the Flemish community of Liège, Belgium. That's where we lived with our parents and our brothers and sisters. Maggie was still in her teens when a crisis came in our family. Mother took little Maggie into her confidence. Maggie, what are we going to do about your father? He refuses any food, whatever. He's wasting away. I must stay at home and tend to him. You're the breadwinner, Mother. Let me do it. I'm sorry, Maggie, but your father's life is at stake. It's too much responsibility to entrust to a child. You said yourself I'm the apple of his eye. What does that have to do with it? Everything. It means he won't resent me. What do you mean? Does your father resent me? Oh, I don't... I don't think father realizes it himself, but... Mother, he's been a semi-invalid for years, and he's watched you take over one after another of his responsibilities until he feels that there's nothing left. And so he's was sort of given up. I never dreamed of such a thing. But you could be right. I know I'm right. The doctor says we have to persuade him to eat and, and cheer him up. That's half the battle. Well, he won't eat for me, that's for certain. Yes, I think I'll take the chance. I'm going to leave Father in your hands. I'll make him eat. I'll find a way. I believe you will. Call me at school if I'm needed. Goodbye, Maggie. And good luck. Goodbye, Mother. What have you got there? A glass of milk. I don't mean the milk. I don't want any. I mean, in your other hand. Oh, oh, that. Well, uh, just a newspaper. Uh, oh, but there's a big news, Father, in London. Charing Cross. Oh, but uh, I almost forgot. First, the milk. Blast the milk. Give me the newspaper. Oh, the doctor doesn't want you to read before breakfast, so drink, Papa dear, and then I will read the news. You arouse my curiosity about London, where I lived for 18 years, but you will not satisfy that curiosity until... Until you drink the milk, Papa. So drink up and you'll soon find out. All right, give me the milk. I don't want soup. Drink it, Father. I shall not touch a drop. Oh, oh, Father, now look what you've done. You've spilled it on my dress. What if I did? I told you I didn't want any, didn't I? <laughs> Man, you're crying. I'm, I'm sorry, child. I didn't mean to ruin the dress. There's anything I can't stand. It's tears. 
All right, stop crying and I'll take the soup. All right. Only, I don't want any left, not even a spoonful. Maggie really went to work on Father. She provoked laughter with funny stories. She played his favorite songs on the piano while he sang. Shrewdly, she gave him more and more responsibilities. Things he could do. Soon, Father had a new urge to live. You may say this had nothing to do with what followed. But you would be wrong. For Maggie had discovered for the first time the joy of helping others. And this was to become, for her, a way of life. It was the eve of my departure to join the Franciscans when a knock sounded on my door and Maggie came into the room. What's on your mind, Maggie? Tomorrow you leave to become a Franciscan. How does it feel? Oh, it's a strange and happy feeling. As if I'd accomplished something, yet I haven't even started. Well, you've known for a long time just what you wanted, haven't you? Of course. Don't you? No. Mother wants me to become a schoolteacher like herself. What would you like to do, Maggie? Well, continue my education, although I must confess to no particular purpose. You object to teaching? Well, no, not really. I think I could become very good at it. Except that it doesn't give me the complete satisfaction it should. May I make a suggestion? I wish you would. Perhaps the satisfaction you're looking for is something you must find within yourself. But how? By dedication. A life of self-sacrifice in the service of our people. Education is one need. And if you follow Mother's advice, you can achieve partial fulfillment. But you say yourself, this is not enough. There are many among our people who are sick and poor who need help. I know. And my heart goes out to them. But that's a calling in itself. How can I teach school to please Mama and still help the sick and the poor? Mother raised ten of us by holding three teaching jobs at the same time. She also attended daily mass and helped Father in the furniture factory while it lasted. Remember? Mm. If you like, I can tell you a secret. And what is that? There are 24 hours on each day. <laughs> <laughs> so Maggie became a teacher. First in the Congo of Serain, a notorious suburb. Then in a school of the Sisters of Mary. And lastly, in a school of the Benedictine Sisters. In 1913, she joined the Third Order of St. Francis and devoted herself after school hours to errands of charity. Good evening. Father Nicholas has sent me. How are you feeling? <laughs> As you see, not well. Mm. My lungs are... Oh, this room. I'm sorry it's not fit to receive visitors. Oh, now I can do something about that. But, well, first, let me bathe your head and arrange your pillow. Uh -huh. Here. Uh -huh. There. And that's better, isn't it? Uh, much better. Now, where is your scrub pail and soap? In the closet. I'm afraid they haven't been used for some time. Well, they're going to be used right now. In an hour, the room could scarcely have been recognized. She'd brought along clean curtains for the windows and a vase filled with flowers. How does the room look now? Like new. Uh, I wish I could say as much for myself. I fear I'm not long for this world. It's just a question of time. Well, then use every precious moment of it to thank God for his blessings. Blessings? 
What blessing? Is it not a blessing to be allowed to suffer, even as Christ did for us? I, I'm afraid I never thought of it like that. And take this little gift I brought along, especially for you. A crucifix? Uh, I had one once. I don't know whatever became of it. Now look at it whenever you're in pain or torment. See how he was tortured, our poor Savior. Nobody consoled him. How easy it is to endure pain if we offer it up for the love of God. I shall keep the crucifix clutched in my hand. And when I look at him stretched out upon the cross, how then can I complain? Mother kept a keen eye on parish activities. When a particular problem needed solving, she often brought it to Maggie's attention at table. Maggie, Mrs. Hollins wasn't at the Sodality meeting last Sunday. I know, Mother. And her husband wasn't with the Holo Name Society. I noticed that. Is it true that she's withdrawn her two daughters from school? Yes, I'm afraid it is, and I know the reason. Why? Because of the way I graded their examination papers, another girl had the best marks. Mrs. Holland's two daughters finished tied for second. Was that so terrible? No, for anyone else. But Mrs. Hollins had set her heart on one of them winning the excellence medal. And she's so disappointed that the entire family has withdrawn from parish activities. Dear me, at a time like this, I know you counted on all of them to be in the procession next Sunday in honor of our blessed lady. Can't we do something about it? Well, perhaps we can. Mother, do you still have the harness we used for the parade horses? I think so. Yes. Those horses have long since gone to their Valhalla. The harness is in the stable. And what about the red plush box your wedding ring came in? The box is somewhere in the sideboard. But what on earth do you want of that? And the horse's harness. Oh, it's, it's not the harness itself, Mother. It's the ornamentation. Mother, I have an idea for salving wounded feelings. But promise me you won't tell Mrs. Hollins what I used, will you? It's a promise. But what on earth are you up to? Just trust me, Mother. It's better that you don't know just yet. Good evening, Mrs. Hollins. Yes? I'm your girl's teacher. You're the one who graded the papers. You placed another girl first and my girl's tied for second. Well, so I did. The other girl earned the medal, but... Well, actually, I, I, I did you a favor. How do you explain that? Well, suppose your daughter Ernestine had won. Wouldn't Dora have been heartbroken? What? I suppose so. Yes. And if Dora had finished first, wouldn't Ernestine have been filled with disappointment? Well, that's true, I must admit. Oh, you would have faced a household divided within itself. King Solomon, in all his wisdom, could scarcely have solved such a problem. But the good Lord, in his almighty wisdom, did. Oh, enough of this double talk. It was you who graded the examination well, papers. Well, that I, I frankly acknowledge. And it's a fine medal, the girl won who finished first. But no more so than those your daughters won for finishing second. Well, I didn't know that you say my daughters won medal for finishing second. Oh, yes. Well, the margin was so close and your daughters so deserving that the school board voted unanimously to award them medals also. Well, still, I don't begrudge the other girl a medal as long as mine get theirs. Uh, would you like to see the medals? Indeed, I would. Well, I, I, I just happened to have them with me. I was on my way to the jewelers to have them suitably engraved. Uh, here, see for yourself. 
Oh, they're beautiful. And such a lovely plush box. Well, that design on the medals, isn't that the head of a horse? Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, <clears throat> it uh, <clears throat> symbolizes where uh, your daughter's finished. At the head of the class. Stupid of me. I, I should have realized. Uh, by the way, Mrs. Holland... Uh, would you like to have some tea, dear? Well, yes, thank you. That'd be nice. Yes. Um, there are a few other matters I'd like to clear up. There's a procession Sunday, and I, I figured on Mr. Hollins to carry the banner. I wish you'd ask him for me. Ask him? I'll tell him. <laughs> and if you yourself would lead the women, because you you walk so erectly. Oh, I'll be glad to do it. Uh, you know, I missed Ernestine and Dora at school today. Were they ill, perhaps? Uh, a little indisposed, but they'll be in Monday. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. They're such good pupils. Maggie was to have still another encounter with the formidable Mrs. Holland. The eldest of her daughters had been married only a few days. When Maggie called to congratulate the newlyweds, she was met by an irate Mrs. Holland. My daughter Ernestine married a lazy tramp. Absolutely good for nothing. I'm going to find a decent husband for her, I am. Oh, but Mrs. Holland, your daughter is already married. She can't have a different husband now. Oh, can't she? I, I'd just like to see anybody stop her. Mrs. Holland, they loved each other so much, I'm sure it's, it's just a misunderstanding. If you could persuade them to talk it over, everything could be smoothed out. I'll not permit my daughter to speak to him. I'll make it my business to see that she gets a good husband. Now, I, I, I think every mother wants that for her daughter, and I find it hard to believe that you were neglectful in that respect. What do you mean, neglectful? I looked over every prospect she ever dated. Well, I'm sure you did. And you picked George. Well... Maybe I made a mistake. Oh, no, I doubt that very much, Mrs. Holland. You're a smart woman. If George wasn't the best available beau, you wouldn't have approved of him in the first place, now would you? No, I wouldn't. But then why look around now for somebody who could only be second best? But right now she doesn't have anybody. They're separated. Yes, well, you can remedy that. Let her return to her husband. What? And in your name, I I'll look him up and make him promise to treat her right. It's a good idea. Only I ought to be the one to make him promise. Why should you do it? Do you think you can do it better than I? Well, no, no, no. It's not that, Mrs. Hollins. But, uh, well, why, why should you go out of your way when it's right on my way home? So it is. Well, go to it. After all, I did pick George, and like you say, there's no reason why Ernestine should settle for second best. In the home she visited, Maggie's charity took many turns. A first communion suit for a boy, confirmation dress for a girl. Frequently, Maggie solved the problem of money by selling some article of jewelry or clothing. For such purposes, she considered everything in the house as her own. Mother, did you see anything of my shoes? No, dear. Oh, I'm sure I left them beside this chair. Beside the chair, you say? Then perhaps you left them too accessible. You mean... I noticed Maggie had a bundle under her arm last night when she left to visit the poor. And you think it contained my shoes? Your shoes and my stockings. Every last pair I own is missing. I had to dig out and mend a pair I discarded. Huh. Maggie is no longer content with giving away everything she owns. Now she borrows from us to help her beloved poor. 
In some cases, she even asked me to make a delivery. And every home I visit, I recognize some article that I used to call my own. Perhaps you ought to speak to Maggie. <laughs> Very well. And I'll tell you in advance exactly what she will say. Dear folks, I'll buy you new shoes and new stockings. And the Lord will bless you a thousandfold. Good morning, Papa and Mama. Good morning, indeed. And what, may I ask, became of my stockings and your father's shoes? Oh, Mother, I meant to tell you. I gave them to the poor. I'm, I'm sure the Lord will bless you a thousandfold. You see? Uh, Maggie, uh, didn't it occur to you that you might have given away the discarded ones we are now wearing? Oh, Father, that would never do. I couldn't insult the poor by giving them something in such wretched condition. Besides, they wouldn't have lasted long. Soon I would have been obliged to search for something newer. Father, really, it was much better to give away the good ones. Then I had the assurance that they'd last a longer period of time. An assurance we certainly didn't have with the ones you left us. Oh, well, they should at least last until we get to church and back. Come, Father, or we'll be late. In just a minute. Uh, Maggie, I, uh, I notice your own purse is empty. What will you put on the plate? Oh, I'm sure I'll find a coin somewhere. And, uh... If you don't, what then? Who knows? My dress has silver buttons. But events were happening that were to change the destinies of all of us. On August 7th, 1914, the German army captured the fortress of Liege, and the First World War was on. Soon, three of us were in the bloody struggle. Maggie, I'm so worried about your three brothers. Don't worry, Mother. God will take care of them. We have to think only of the wounded in the hospitals. My brothers will return home safe and sound. How can you speak with such confidence? I have petitioned God that no harm come to them. I am going to offer God a sacrifice. Oh, my Savior... I beg of thee, spare my three brothers. In exchange for their safety, I offer a sacrifice. Myself. Maggie had given many things in his name. And now she knew that our Savior had accepted her final gift. The sacrifice of her life. Maggie decided to join the convent. In this way, she could serve God until the final summons and ease the burden of parting for mother and father. Maggie, you're rehearsing your choir to sing a funeral mass. And what's wrong with that? People are dying all the time. But a chorister asked, for whom shall we sing it first? And you answered, for me. Well, we must have our little jokes, however grim they may appear to somebody else. You also borrowed from Father Nicholas a book by St. Alphonse. Preparation for death. Mother, haven't you taught me that we should always be prepared? But your personal papers, they used to be in such disorder. And now they're so neat. Mother, sometimes you're hard to figure out. First you scold me because I'm untidy, and now you rebuke me because I'm so neat. It makes me wonder, why the change? Am I not about to enter the convent? I'm glad you mentioned that. The sisters call to check on your readiness. What shall I tell them? 
Tell them we shall soon be as one with God. On March 7th, 1916, Maggie became ill. Mother summoned the doctor, who reported a slight fever. When he left, Maggie called Mother. Mother, would you mind combing my hair? Why, surely, child. You act as if you expected to meet a very important person. I do, Mother. She passed away quietly in the arms of our parents. The doctor stuck by his statement that no medical evidence existed upon which to explain her death. On a snowy day, huge crowds attended her funeral. Mrs. Hollins was there with her daughter Ernestine and her husband. The choir sang the requiem that Maggie had practiced with them. Those whom she had aided frequently visited her grave. Many favors were gained through her intercession. And amidst this sadness at home, what of us, her three brothers, for whom Maggie made the supreme sacrifice? As you know, each of us escaped certain death. God accepts the sacrifice of one and allows others to benefit by it. And that's the story of my sister, Margaret, angel of charity, servant of God. And now, Mr. Kenton, it's time for an accounting. You promised me the name of the censor who read my letters. Very well. You lived up to your half of the bargain, I live up to mine. His name was Jerry Kenton. You? Yes, Father. I was the censor. I'm the skeptic who didn't believe. But I do now, Father. I do now. I want to thank you for listening to this rebroadcast of the Ave Maria Hour, brought to you by the Franciscan Friars of the Atonement. For over 110 years, the Friars have devoted themselves to fulfilling St. Francis' prayer, to heal wounds, to unite what has fallen apart, and to bring home those who have lost their way. We work for Christian unity and interreligious understanding. We provide respite at our retreat center at Greymoor for those in need of spiritual renewal. We staff parishes throughout the world, serve as chaplains for colleges, hospitals, and prisons. We care for the ill through hospice work, ministry to those with HIV-AIDS. We also shelter the homeless and provide treatment and services for those suffering from alcoholism and drug addiction. If you would like to be included in our prayer list, participate in special St. Anthony Novenas, and or visit St. Anthony Shrine Graymore. Attend a retreat, learn more about our Ave Maria Hour productions, or simply make a donation to assist us in fulfilling St. Francis' prayer to help those in need. Please visit our website at atonementfriars.org. 
or email me at avemaria at atonementfriars.org. You can write to me, Father Bob, Friars of the Atonement, Graymore, Post Office Box 300, Garrison, New York, 10524. And so, in closing, I ask for the blessing of God upon you and those you love. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he look upon you with kindness and give you his peace. Amen.